0: Welcome to the first episode of the Please Be Seated podcast. I am Luke and you may know me through my YouTube channel Bottle O Productions and my previous interviews with Matt Lucas or Sophie Aldred and I'm here today with special guest Andy Kind. Hi Luke. <laughs> um, so could you tell our listeners a bit about who you are and what you do?
1: Yeah, I can. So I am a, um, I do a number of things. I'm a comedian, a professional comedian. I am a, a writer, so I've written four books, and I'm also a, a preacher. More recently, I've been uh, preaching the gospel, the good news about about Jesus, uh, which is sort of how we met. Two of those things combined, wasn't it? We, I did a, a gig gig, a church near you, and you you came along to that, and that's how we connected.
0: Yeah. Um, so have you had any form of people shocked or surprised by the fact that you are one of the I'd say few stand up comedians who doesn't rely on bad language or crude or offensive jokes?
1: No, I don't think people notice it. I genuinely don't think people notice. I don't think because I don't think it's what people are looking out for. I think if I mention it which I don't, but if I did mention it, people would come up at the end and say, Oh, it was great to hear you you know not swearing and and, and stuff but hmm. i don't mention it because i'm not trying to be clean i just naturally am clean i you know comedy is just an extension of who you are in, in real life in most cases so i'm trying to be funny and i'd rather someone come up and say you were really funny than you didn't swear it doesn't really matter to me that i don't swear in that that's not the aim of what i'm doing but okay. yeah i don't i don't think people i don't think people notice i genuinely don't if, if people like it they like it on its own terms rather than because it's because it's the absence of something that they don't like
0: have you um, got any upcoming projects uh, that you can tell our listeners about
1: well i'm mainly um i'm going through another i'm going into a new season of writing so i've got um a sequel to my novel the S- uh, the unfortunate adventures of tom hillingthwaite coming out uh, well when i've written it, it will come out and i've got to write it first I'm doing another um, another book called uh, Hidden in Plain Sight, which is about um, it's basically about the gospel and how um, people reject some of the more obvious trappings of religion, and rightly so. But actually, the stuff that we know to be true, whatever we believe about the world, the stuff that we know to be true, such as unconditional love and human rights and objective morality. These are things that point to a greater story, um, and that story is fulfilled in in the story of Jesus. So I'm writing that, and then I am um, doing a, a film series, actually. You'll like this. I'm doing a film series, um, YouTube series I'm about to start, where I take different films and see how it relates to the gospel, or see how it interlinks with the gospel, see how it contrasts with the gospel, Um, And the idea is that every story ever told, whether in print or on screen, is in some way an attempt to connect with the great story of the universe. You know, all truth is God's truth and any good storytelling is about truth. And so wherever something is true and resonates in a film, we can say, okay, well, how does that link to the meta narrative, which is of God redeeming the universe?
0: (laughs) Which is uh, what we um, expect to so, hear, hear, hear that. See well, that. I'm speaking
1: to the um, the film guy next week, and hopefully we'll start to... I've written some of the scripts already, so looking to start filming whenever this guy's schedule is uh, is freed up. But, yeah, I'm excited about it, because I haven't really done a lot of video stuff in my time. I haven't really got a lot online of a visual nature but um i'm trying to start doing that now
0: i think a few churches have posted your talks but other than that yeah when i youtube searched you before the gig there wasn't really anything
1: yeah uh, well i took a lot down because i've been quite i haven't been able to do much uh, creative stuff over the previous over the past two years so i had to take a lot of stuff down because i was getting gig offers that i needed to reject uh, and that was causing me grief i hate rejecting gigs so i i sort of tried to go rogue a little bit, and go, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Go dark, as they say in um, 24.
0: Um, So can you tell us of any of the films that you're discussing and comparing to the Gospel?
1: Yeah, so um, I'm looking at Drive, I'm looking at Vertigo by Alfred Hitchcock, Uh, I'm looking at Shawshank Redemption, that's quite an obvious one, Um, and I think that... um, I think that you can t- look at any film and make a link it's not to say that every filmmaker is trying to do that is trying to tell the gospel at all and some people are actually trying to do the opposite but again there's there's always a if you if you think that it says at the start of the book of John in the beginning was the logos that's the word in the beginning was the word so story was wired into the universe from the beginning so wherever there is story there is a link to the gospel
0: okay so let's see if we can find a link today um, okay uh so we'll go straight into the film uh what mm-hmm. we uh, so today we are reviewing and discussing um stanley kubrick's the shining um what were your first experiences with the film
1: so my first experience i was um so i've rewatched half of it today um but i saw it quite recently anyway Uh, my first experience of it was when my parents went away in sort of 1998, I think my mum and dad went on holiday and my sister and I had the run of the house to ourselves and we went to the local video shop. There used to be things called video shops, Luke. And um, we hired out a load of horror films and one of them was the shining. And um, I remember feeling that it was thinking that it was really creepy, um, but in a memorable way. Um, And yeah, it was just sort of, Chilling and quite uncanny, and uh, yeah, that's that's my first experience of it. the The lift, the lift doors with the blood was the it was the first thing that really stuck in my mind. But I've watched it many times since, and I think the great thing about any Kubrick film is that you uh, you can get something different out of it every time that you watch it. Um, and it is a you know they are they are visual works of art, and in the case of something like Barry Lyndon, um, you know that is. That is almost that is almost a series of portraits, um, just sort of moving portraits on, on screen. You know, the whole the whole film is has these amazing zoom ins and zoom outs um, on these on these tableaux. So I think Kubrick does that in different ways in every film, but he he is just he's putting art onto the screen.
0: Although his Which is methods why methods are questionable, of course.
1: Yeah, of course. But a, I think it's why a lot of Kubrick is difficult to analyse because he's actually not trying to. Um, so the most interesting thing about The Shining, I think, is that it's it's although it's not about the limits of the rational mind, um, it's a film that demonstrates the limits of the rational mind because, however you try to analyse it you actually end up at a dead end. So there's lots of ways of reading it, but it's not about, and I heard Kubrick say this in an interview, it's not about being able to verbally analyse it. So it's almost a sort of anti-enlightenment film. There we go. That's quite a, that's quite a good, start, strong start yeah. of a 10 isn't it?
0: Um, so yeah. as a way of um, just introducing, this was possibly one of the first horror films I've seen. And I made the mistake, really, about uh, with... Not really watching much horror until I started film studies. So I yeah. already knew when I started watching horror the conventions of horror, and thus I haven't found a horror film that has made me jump. So I'm mm. on a hunt for that. Um, yeah. <laughs> things are creepy, but a lot is very predictable, especially as yeah. the teen horror. Um,
1: yeah. Woman in Black is the film I hated the most because it was i found it the most scary i I saw the play of woman in black many years ago and then when it came out on film with daniel radcliffe a few years ago i went to see that in the cinema and i I hated it that made me jump a lot Yeah. yeah
0: um so we'll go to the start of the film um we've got the wonderful opening of the drive across the the mountains and the hills with the creepy music which i think is brilliant um and of course, the one th- I think the o- one of the only things from it which I can say feel really dated is the the style of credits at the start.
1: Yes, like that's
0: it, right. But it's every time I forget that it's sort of scrolling credits, which we don't really get. We don't get many credits at the start of films at all now.
1: That's right. Which and is, I think what's yeah. Sorry, go on. Sorry, Luke.
0: I would say it's quite a, a shame. I think I heard it was uh, George Lucas who put an end to that with Star Wars.
1: Hmm
0: um but yeah
1: yeah the idea that he couldn't be what was it that once he'd done it everybody else looked like they were copying him was that the idea
0: i don't know um something. but yeah so we then get to jack played by jack nicholson easy enough to remember i, yeah. I, I find that quite um because danny's also played by someone danny yeah something, so yeah yes.
1: danny lloyd plays plays danny torrance yeah
0: and I don't know why because I know it isn't he always reminds me of the kid out of Kramer vs Kramer yeah (laughs) I can't remember the name of the one he plays in he was also in Sixteen Candles which is a really good teen movie yeah Um,
1: sure but I think what's really interesting about the um, just going back right to the start the first because we have that that shot it's the helicopter shot obviously Um, but the first thing that the camera does is in the helicopter is shoot over this massive lake but directly over this small island in the middle of the lake, which is an instant sort of precursor to what's going on, which is that it's about isolation. The film is about what happens when people are in isolation. So you have this little tiny island in the middle of a lake, and that's already a metaphor for Jack, that he is na- he is going to be isolated. No man should be an island, but the film is obviously about what happens to Jack when he's in isolation. So, yeah, visu- the language of film.
0: Yes. Yeah, so... Yeah. Um, Jack is warned about the tragic accident that happened at the hotel with a guy and his wife and two girls, um, who which the story, of course, later appears throughout the film. And we just hear the warning and he sort of throws it off, says, oh, his, his wife's really interested in that sort of stuff, she'd love to hear it. And then we get to see his wife, Wendy, and his son, Danny, And there's already something odd with Danny, with him Mm. and Tony.
1: Yeah. Yes, that that's right. Yeah. Um, Yeah, that that's right. And I think also in that conversation, um, Danny says because Wendy's asking him about, they're talking about going to live in this hotel for five months. And Danny is okay with it because he says there isn't really anybody to play with around here. So in that in that first in that first scene with Danny and Wendy, you have um, you have Wendy asking Danny about going to the hotel to live for five months, and and Danny saying that he's okay with it because there isn't really many there isn't really anyone to play with around there. So you've got straight away that link to his dad that danny is at the start of that journey towards total isolation he's a kid he's at the age where he should have lots of people to play with and he he already doesn't so you've got that sort of father and son set up and the idea of the the son already becoming like the father
0: now i haven't properly read the book um but i believe it focuses more on danny than jack just like the original National Lampoon story for Vacation focused more on yeah. Rusty than Clark, and I think that's probably more to do with the star power. Just mm, like, yeah, I at, think like so, vacation yeah. Vacation, it was because they had Chevy Chase, uh, and yeah. I think it's the same with because they had Jet Nicholson, because he was quite established at this point, wasn't he? I yeah, think... Was, but he, was, yeah, but... Nest was before, I think.
1: Yeah, but I think The Shining was... was his most defining role um but obviously they're both about they're both about people in in, a, in an asylum of different kinds so he, so he became known after those two films didn't he of, of playing playing a lunatic
0: do you do you think that's overly typecast or do you think it works
1: uh well i don't well i don't know really i think he he plays you know if you want someone to play a a seething madman then you do tend to think of jack nicholson and i think the just his whole demeanor really suits the shining because it's this like that you know that the hotel is is superficially attractive and grandiose and and grand and impressive but beneath the surface there's something bubbling over and simmering Uh, and it's the same with jack nicholson you know he when he arrives at the hotel he's um, he's gracious. He's charming. He looks good, um, but you you can see in his eyes yeah. from from early on that there's just a madness there somewhere. So I think that I think that's why Kubrick chose him because he he embodies he embodies the nature of the hotel.
0: Of course, Nicholson is now moved on to a lot more comedies well I would say now he hasn't got an IMDB credit since 2010 but I think I think that's probably from about the point of As Good As It Gets or Mars Attacks his, mm. he kind of became a spoof of himself really which yeah. I don't yeah. think is a problem I think many people like you see that through Robert De Niro as well um, yeah, but I, I do wonder what happened to Jack Nicholson I'm sure someone out there knows he might have retired or something I haven't yeah well he's
2: quite
1: old now and he's got loads of money so he probably doesn't need to do very much and the fact that you know uh, 37 years after The Shining we're, we're still doing a podcast about it
0: <laughs> 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 suggests that he's done alright mm. certainly I think I'm not surprised if it is it may be in IMDB's top 100 Shining I'm not certain I, I think it
1: is. is. It's one of Roger Ebert's great movies, so it's probably in. It's probably on a lot of lists.
0: Although it's not listed in his known for credits, which is quite interesting. Oh, right. <laughs> Chinatown, Cuckoo's Nest, Good as It Gets, and The Departed are his known for okay. credits.
2: Yeah.
0: Uh, I think I've only seen As Good as It Gets of them. Uh, yeah. Oh no, I think I've seen Cuckoo's Nest. Um, but going off on a tangent a bit. Yeah. Oh. So Danny sees uh the blood coming out of the lift and the twins uh which mm-hmm. is uh sort of our first appearance, Well, we call them the twins, but they're actually two years apart um which is an odd sort of one off point as kind of why they are separated in age 'cause it there's not mm. really any relevance to it but
1: yeah and they they look they don't look like they're. They don't look like there's a difference in age, do they? They they look pretty much the same. One is slightly taller than the other, but they they look like twins. You, I think of them as twins. So, yeah, there's that interesting question of well, what is true here? Is that vision false, or is the vision true? Has the story been conveyed to Jack falsely? Um, so yeah, you've got that question of throughout the film, who is a who is the reliable narrator? You know, who who can we trust? Whose story can we trust?
0: And, of course, the twins' idea has been spoofed a lot. Uh, I think my favourite is you can very briefly see Twins in Joss Whedon's Cabin in the Woods. I don't yeah. know if you've seen Cabin in the Woods. Yeah, yeah. But I, I, that, that's possibly one of the greatest horror films. Um, I mean, I say that as a massive Buffy fan, but... Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, so at, and then I've, my next note is that Danny sees the twins again, so... I, I gather there was something in between, but nothing I felt the point of writing about. Um,
1: yeah. Yeah, t- yeah. There's two very early and quick sightings of the, of the girls of the twins. That's right. And I think that was quite interesting that it goes, it goes straight in with the, with the supernatural.
0: Now I went to see a production of Macbeth recently over at Stratford, uh, cause I'm a big doctor who fan and I wanted to meet Chris Eccleston. Mm, and, yeah. uh, it. uh, that was apparently very heavily inspired by The Shining, and how it because uh, the three witches were children and the lighting yeah. and whatnot. So I I, I think it's really okay. a sign on how how many people how many things take inspiration from such a yeah. horror a milestone really.
1: Yeah, and for for Cubic in general. So um, Mr. Robot on on Amazon. Is, is shot very in a very Kubrickian style. So once you've seen a few Kubrick films, y- you, you really notice when people are mimicking him. You don't necessarily notice what is Kubrick when you're watching Kubrick, but when you see it in other directors and other filmmakers, you do really notice it.
0: Well, we'll find out later on about how he is as a director because I believe this film still holds the most takes done for any scene.
1: Yeah, yeah, um, that's right.
0: Yeah. And I will move on to that when we get up to that. Um Halloran, if I'm pronouncing him right, um yeah, tells Halloran. Danny about the shining. Um which is another interesting thing. That the film is and I, I got it probably from the book, um, called the Shining because of Danny's ability. But really it's all about Jack. Yeah. And it's I I think it's almost like a mislead, sort of people assume that we're gonna you know, if something's gonna go mad about Danny and the fact that it's Jack who is slight, sort of introduced to us as our hero type character mm-hmm. at the start, I think it's a, a brilliant twist of conventions of horror. Um,
1: but there's also a suggestion one way of reading it is that Jack also has the the shining ability, but he hasn't been, um, he hasn't had any tutelage. So, you know, Dick Halloran is able to equip Danny to a degree, he's able to warn him about. About the shining and about the effects of it, um, whereas Jack has never had that, and so again, it's that it's that theme. One of the themes for me is about corrupted fatherhood um, and the impact of a corrupted fatherhood, but that um, you know that the sins of the father get delivered onto the son, uh, and Jack's shining ability because it has never been um, properly uh discipled if you like has has sent him into this uh, abusive insanity uh, which is then impacting danny so yeah i, I think uh, there's lots of ways to read it and i don't think anything is definitive but one of the, the suggestions is that is that jack also has the shining but just in a much less obvious and um less administered way um I'll, at
0: this point i just realising that the film has a very very small cast which mm. is quite surprising uh, compared to most horror films mm. um, which is quite I find that very interesting because it's a lot of it doesn't rely on special effects, it's the sort of film that an amateur could make you know, in an old house and the, so the fact that Kubrick manages to bring something to it um, yeah, but uh, it's in, it's
1: interesting what you say about um, the fact that it's a horror, because I think only two people die, don't they? Just uh, Halloran dies and then Jack dies at, at the end. Um, whereas in a lot of horror films, you know, that's the that's the prologue, isn't it? Two people, you know, a couple of people die in, in the prologue. So it's an interesting it's an interesting horror film. It's chilling more than it is gruesome.
0: It's yeah, it it's presented as if it were a slasher but there's mm. not really any slashing so yeah danny's right. only done two things um but i I'm, I'm wondering whether kubrick has put them off a lot of these actors because i think yeah. if you go into a film with a director who you know we now know is quite an abusive director um how many people want to go into them again yeah and it's i've heard you've it... kubrick once <laughs> Um, I don't yeah
1: know has yeah it's interesting i think that I, I always wonder about you won't have seen a clockwork orange yet but um malcolm mcdowell who plays the main character in that plays alex uh is absolutely astonishingly good in that main role um but then his career just didn't really just didn't really go in the direction that it should have done you you watch him in that and think well, wow, you could be you could do anything you could you could be any you could play any role um but actually his career largely descended into i think quite mediocre projects so yeah it's in, it's interesting and i wonder whether that's to do with the the kubrick effect
0: um so then um there i've i've literally got in my notes not much of importance happens um <laughs> And then Jack is told off uh, by Wendy for being grouchy while he's writing. Yeah. Um, which is quite... It, the writing doesn't seem significant, but it, it is like massively significant later on. Hmm. And...
1: Yeah. Yeah, well, the hot... The, um, what I noticed watching it again today, which I hadn't noticed before, is that the the end of the first act is... is Wendy's saying to Jack, you've just got to get into the habit of writing again. And he says, yes, that's all it is. And then Act Two starts with that amazing shot of the typewriter, just this close-up shot of the typewriter. Um, And as we see the typewriter, we hear Jack throwing the baseball against the wall, but it it sounds like ominous thudding. And again, just using the language of film, um, that for me sets up, that the rest of the film is absolutely about the writing process is absolutely about what jack is doing with that typewriter mm-hmm. either that the writing process itself is driving him insane or that from that point onwards everything that happens is not really happening it's him writing his novel so everything that we see is then the story within the story so that's what i that's what i got from it Today, so as you say, I yeah. Never the... heard
0: anyone, you know, come up with the the story inside the story comment? But I think that that's very that that could be quite important, and you know, it's,
1: it's possible. I'm sure we'll come back to it. But yeah, I just I just realised that Act Two, because Kubrick never. I mean, it's true that not much of import may happen, but Kubrick didn't. You know, everything. Everything he did was for a reason. And to start the second act with that close-up of the typewriter suggests to me that it's the typewriter is vital, that the, the writing process is vital to, the, to understanding the story.
0: Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I, especially looking into it now, have a lot more respect for directors, because I knew it was hard, but spending, and I think it was about five hours, um, three-camera set is a lot harder than I thought. And uh, Mm. so I I have a lot of respect for those directors and what they do. Um, And especially, I'll I'll say, I can see why at some points Kubrick got quite angry. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because when people aren't acting the way you want them to and you've got such a picture in your head, it's, you know, he's he's worked out ways to get things to work. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And, that's right. And uh, then I've got um, Danny sees the twins again. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's quite important that Danny's the only person who sees the twins. Is that part of the Shining through him there?
1: Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Yes, he is. He's the only one who sees the twins. Um, and they all yeah so all three of the main characters experience the madness of the of the hotel, but to varying degrees and at various stages so Danny sees it first and and Wendy only sees it right at the end, doesn't she I think she only is that right I think right at the end she she has an she sees an apparition of something doesn't she
0: I think so there's like two men in animal suits or something that she sees i think yeah um but I'm I'm not so it, that the end is you know really speeds up after the slow pace of the film which really adds to the tone of boredom of isolation and mm. really picks up he, he, he does what I'd say very similar um done afterwards uh with John Hughes and The Breakfast Club mm. how, how important the tone is and the, the pace to what's happening and how it works and um Yes, and <laughs> yes. So then we've got uh, that Jack says he'll never do anything to hurt Danny mm-hmm um, I mean it's that that's part of the conversation, but I think that's the main line I took out of it um, because it seems such an odd thing that you know that was brought up as a conversation and
1: yes that that's right, that's right, and that's a really interesting scene because um, in that scene, jack has said yes so the music in that scene is really interesting that it's the sort of music that you associate with a dream um it's that sort of plinky-plonky music that you associate with people transitioning into a dream on screen but earlier in that scene jack has said um that he can't sleep even though he's really tired he can't sleep so I, i i just think that's really interesting the idea that you've got this dreamlike music but a man saying i'm unable to sleep um and already uh, there's there's then there's hints of you know the the past the abusive past that jack has with danny why would danny say you'd never do anything to hurt us if there wasn't something you know there's no smoke without fire so yeah just those those interesting questions about backstory that that make us feel a bit unsettled about jack
0: and from the same point you've got the idea that maybe it was all a dream as well. Yeah. Um, which is I mean there is there are so many theories I'm sure of the shining there's the there's a theory that all of Greece was in the last moments in her head before she died. Um Yeah. At the <laughs> yeah. There's the whole theory yeah. that um Titanic was Rose making up a lie to get the money at, out of the, uh, the and <laughs> Yeah. Um, and th- there is definitely evidence to back all these things.
1: That's right. and I think with the um with the the idea of the novel within the the film, so the story within the story, um, in in books, you don't really read about characters sleeping or not sleeping. a character a fictional character doesn't need to sleep. So in it's interesting, I think just li- listen to that that kind of scene back where jack says, i i don't I can't I can't sleep." Uh, For me, that just adds weight to the idea that actually we're just, we're seeing Jack's projection within the novel that he's writing. So it's not the real Jack, it's his novel, which is why he can't sleep, because fictional characters, they do what you want them to do, when you want them to.
0: Um, And then um, Danny enters room 237. Um, which doesn't seem of major significance at that point, uh, but it's it's not long until it is, and um, I mean what what comes up later with that is quite an interesting uh, point. Um, but at the, after that we have that Jack has had a bad dream that he killed Danny and Wendy,
2: mm-hmm. um,
0: which I mean from what you said he's he's slept then. Yeah, he slept then, hasn't he? Yeah. That's what comes out of his sleep so in 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 that sense you know jack is looking at sleep or we see jack sleep as bad
2: mm.
0: um and I, yeah, don't think, that's right. I don't think there's anything else in terms of sleep on i mean i don't know over the course of how long this is supposed to take place either there's there's not really that's many not... hints of that at all
1: no i i think it's um well, the idea is that they're there for five months, isn't it? But it's not a five-month... It doesn't take five months for him to go insane. Um, and, you, you know, you start... This, a lot of the scenes start with the day of the week. So the idea is, I think, that it doesn't take very long. They have a, they're have a month in when the, main, when the main story starts to happen. But there's a very quick breakdown of Jack's um, mental capacity. Um, in fact,
0: the whole day of the week thing, as you said... Um, reminded me of if you've seen district nine, yes, yes, that the whole thing towards the end of that, with the seventy two hours since the exposure yeah um, then we yeah. um have uh that Danny has a bruise, mm-hmm. and we don't really yeah. once again, that is something that sort of settles for a while before it comes back up and um and then one of the oddest scenes is when jack goes into the gold room to have a drink because at that point all we've been seeing is ghosts but he's communicating with them he is having physical contact which is off what ghosts normally do
1: exactly um and this is where there's lots of different prongs of analysis that are possible so there are ghosts but it's not a ghost story because the ghosts might not be real they might be in the novel or they might be uh in Jack's mind. Um, And I think that, yeah, I think that a lot of the film, it's almost too easy to just, to say this just happened. All of this just happened is almost a bit simplistic for a Kubrick film, but it's certainly fascinating. And it, it, it's really creepy, isn't it? That Mm. for me, that way more than the, the twins appearing at the end of the corridor Jack going in. I mean, there's something creepy about the 1920s, anyway, for some reason. But um, Jack going in there and and seeing, you know, seeing it all done up, I yeah, I found that very disconcerting. And of course, at this point, he says that he'd sell his soul for a drink. So I think there's there's a link there to the idea of him getting his wish. If you take it that, so. What I uh, one potential reading I'm working on at the moment um, is that the hotel is actually hell. The hotel is hell. And um, we'll come back to that, particularly when we link it to the end of the film. The hotel is hell. And it's um, it's basically attracting people using their weakness. And so Jack comes in and he's obviously an alcoholic already, although he hasn't had a drink in five months. And he says, "I'd, I'd sell my soul. For a drink. So did he? Well, that's yeah, yeah. So that's one of the questions, isn't it? Did he? Did has has he actually? Is it actually demonic? Is that an? Is that was that what the hotel needed? Was that the permission that the hotel needed to manifest um, in a, in a physical way? So uh, yeah, that's one reading of it, and it, it's fascinating. I'm sure we can keep kind of throwing in ideas as we as we continue, but. Um, uh, I am particularly intrigued by the idea that um, the hotel is a sort of purgatory, a sort of a sort of hell.
0: This is one of the few films we've reviewed that I haven't had a, a, a large problem with parts of because everything is so well done and well written. And even though, uh, I keep calling back to this episode, even though um, uh, Pretty in Pink, John Hughes is, I'd call him my, my favourite film writer, um, because of how wonderfully he writes teenagers and whatnot i had such a massive fault with that film and i won't mm. um i don't know if you've seen it
1: i have uh, seen it but not not to the degree i've seen the shiny
0: but yeah there's i mean i'm not i won't go into it in case you know it kind of spoils my my review um but anyway
1: uh so how how do you read that ballroom scene then what what's what's your what's your analysis of that
0: I, I really don't know. I'll tell you the odd thing it reminded me of, and this is this is pulling out my film nerd again. Um, yeah. It the the idea is just sort of how odd everything happens from this point really reminds me of Find the Fish from Monty Python's Meaning of Life.
1: Okay. Um, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah.
0: Which yeah. many doubt, um, and many disagree. I'd say is the the best of the Python films, um, but it's it's just sort of the the the, the nonsensical. Side of it that you know, it I, I hadn't really thought I feel like I should have done, but it, it does get to the point when you're watching it and it's just okay, that happens, and you do have to yeah. sort of take a step back and what what did happen um, that is quite interesting. And then um, um, Wendy says that uh, to uh, Jack, once he's out of the pub, that a woman tried to strangle Danny,
1: yes. Yes, and I think um, so. Obviously, the film is not is not about alcoholism. It's not about addiction. But I think there is definitely a really strong case for saying it's about it's about how you know evil, in whatever way you take that to mean evil, preys on the weaknesses and gets a foothold. So again, I think the fact that Jack. Jack invites the addiction back in, doesn't he? he? Invites the evil back into his life by saying, "Go sell my soul for a drink," and that then doesn't just make him vulnerable, but actually makes his entire family vulnerable. And there as well, you've got that theme of corrupted fatherhood. You know, the idea of the the father being the protective figure, but the father being broken and um, uh, sort of. Corrupted by either his inner demons or outer demons, in this case potentially, and how that um, then just creates the destruction of the family unit. So there's lots of different potential readings, but um, who knows?
0: (laughs) Um, So then I've just put that it's snowing heavily around the hotel, and we get a great load of establishing shots, which he surprisingly manages to put a few establishing shots in, considering that the film takes place really in only one building.
1: Um. Yes. It's really interesting that a lot of the establishing shots are the essentially the same shot. It's the outside of the hotel being really snowy. Um, and, and I think that builds up the real sense of isolation and claustrophobia. Mm. Um, but I, I think also, um, the, you know, at the at the start, you've got at the start of the second act. You've got Danny and Wendy. They're outside. They're playing. They're running through the maze, and then when it's snowing, Danny then is inside and he's going around on his little trike um, around the labyrinthine corridors. So again, he's in a maze, but he's sort of inside now. And um,
0: I think it's brilliant think how. Kubrick can make it claustrophobic in such a big building. Now, yeah. I've, I've only, in, in my short lifetime, uh, in and only in the last year, have I actually been to and stayed in a hotel, um, first of which was last year, uh, first trip out of the UK, which was a couple of days in Disneyland. And yeah. the hotel we were in, the floors seemed very, very similar to that of The Shining. And... Yeah. and once again it came back up um in february i had a night in a hotel in london and
1: it's about the you know what's the point of having a a massive you know a, a desert would feel claustrophobic if you were the only person in the desert wouldn't it so what you know what's the point of having this vast uh, hotel to play around in to kind of explore if there's no if you're actually you're just totally on your own and it's totally desolate and totally um isolated um and so the the gift of the space actually becomes the problem. But I think the throughout the film, Kubrick's really good visually at showing us how they are constantly moving in on themselves. You know, they're no longer allowed to go outside. They're, they're trapped within this maze.
0: Everything that each person has seen is exclusive to themselves. Like, Danny's seen the twins several times, but... Wendy or Jack haven't seen them and so I absolutely I is, absolutely but, right although they are in with two other people, they are on their own really
1: and they never have the only time you see them together really as a family is on the drive over there and that's but they are literally they trapped in a car together so you don't there's no scenes of domestic bliss at all um, and even the scenes where you know the scene we talked about where um, uh, Danny's asking Jack whether he's going to hurt him or not. You know, it's a dad sitting on a bed with his son, but it feels really sinister. It doesn't feel mm-hmm. loving. Like The words are the right thing. He's saying the right words, but there's a disparity and a discrepancy between what he's saying and and how he looks and, and how, the t- how the scene feels. It feels really off. It feels really un- uncertain. Um, but also there's these visual signs throughout the film of... Each character, yes, as you say, being isolated and having the, their independent experience, but also being absorbed into the hotel. So, you know, you've got Danny going around the maze, getting closer and closer to the centre. That's what you do with the maze. You get closer to the centre. Um, so he, he's getting absorbed into the hotel. Um, you've got uh, you've got Wendy. Now, there's a lovely shot where Wendy's walking through the Great Hall and um, she's wearing a yellow cardigan. And the curtains behind her are yellow. It's always like, no, she's become part of the furniture. She's becoming part of the furniture. And obviously, with Jack, it's it's much more obvious of of how he becomes absorbed into the story of the uh, of the hotel, particularly with the manifestations that he's he's witnessing. So, yeah, it's amazing. Um,
0: and then uh, Jack goes to investigate the woman um, who supposedly strangled Danny and he has an intimate moment with her um which is you know very odd that you know the the change that we really see of jack but i i think as we saw them at the start if jack was with wendy as he was in the start that a moment like this he would he would tell her or at least you know he he wouldn't share anything with the woman but because of how their relationship has become i think that's one of the reasons it changed
1: but i think also this is a quite a nice this gives weight to the argument that it's about what happens when jack gives into his alcoholism because um in zechariah 10 in the old testament it says um the idols speak falsehood so the idea you know the idolatry whatever that is whether that's a, a, a addiction to something gambling or lust or whatever it is fantasy um it's a lie, but it, it looks good. And so, you know, Jack has given in to his alcoholism. He's been tempted in that direction. And then he sees, you know, he sees this beautiful woman. He's attracted to this beautiful woman who then ends up uh, as a hag um, who turns out to be, you know, a, de- a dead body. And so in that respect, it's it's the story of what happens when people give in to, it's a motif for what happens when people give in to their addictions, because addi- addiction is attractive. That's why it's addiction. You know, you don't get addicted to eating slugs because they're disgusting. You get addicted to stuff that is, that is superficially attractive and alluring. And so, that, I think I think that's that's one of the ways to to read that scene. It's Jack giving in to his demons, uh, which again are both figurative and literal.
0: And um, and uh, um, and he tells Wendy he didn't see anyone, which I think is very important. Uh, you know, he this is what I said before. They literally have the opportunity to tell each other about what they've seen, to become yeah. closer as a couple. To that's it. You know, yeah. but but he he avoids it. He sort of takes a step back. <laughs> he's got another thing he's hiding from his wife, mm. and especially when his son's welfare is a part of it now and how you know he avoids that it's quite shocking really
1: yeah and and for me again that's where the idea of the hotel being hell is um, is relevant because you know Jesus says my father's house has many rooms um, and the enemy Satan if you like uh can't create; he can only corrupt what is good. So here you have a a hotel, you have a place with many rooms, but in this case, the father is the father of lies, uh, and that's what we've just witnessed between Jack and Wendy. They don't tell the truth; they they lie. And you know, Satan is is the father of lies, not the father of negative emotions. It's it's the lies that create the problems. Lies are the things that lead to separation and and breakdown of relationship. Lies are the things that lead to addiction. You know, the idols speak falsehood. So for me, this is a really... This is where I would link the film to the gospel. It's about what happens when when truth is not present.
0: That is really interesting. (laughs) Um, Yeah. How how much thought have you put into things like that? Or do they just sort of... Have you prepared, trained yourself to just sort of... Well,
1: I, I mean, I... I think I take so just over the last couple of days, because I knew we were doing this, I've I've rewatched the film and I've I've read some stuff about it and I've just thought about it. So, you know, I I think that the more you think about something, um, the better you get at it. I'm only quite new. I've only been watching films as long as you have, really. Um, But I think when the more you the more you look at something and the more the more you understand or decide to believe that every story in some way is telling is an attempt to tell that meta narrative that's wired throughout the universe. Then I think that the links are just, are just there. So I'm, I'm looking for, I'm looking for links to the gospel in every film that I watch. I'm not looking really for, um, the different types of shots in the same, you know, you were mentioning earlier how you're doing that for your film studies. I'm not, I'm not noticing that sort of thing. Um, and you can't notice everything, you know. That's why you can watch Kubrick ten times and get something different from each viewing. Mm. Every time yeah. I watch a film at the moment, I'm, I'm looking for the question of how would I communicate? How would I have a conversation about The Shining where I would then be able to lead on to the good news about, about Jesus? So, yeah, I, th- I think that's that it fits. It might not be what Kubrick was doing, but for, for me, um, it really fits the idea that the hotel is – is hell it's evil personified and it's the story of evil's attempt to lure the characters into its grasp
0: i i i think if our listeners aren't uh well are heavily interested in where you're coming from with this, then they should definitely uh, check out this series you're doing. If you got a title for it yet, or is it? No, not yet,
1: not yet. So maybe they could email and let me know what the, what I should call it.
0: <laughs> so they can either tweet you, or they could drop me a yeah. messenger uh, on Facebook or whatever. Uh, you never know. Um, or yeah. I don't know how far you'll be into production by the time this is out. I yeah. Well, um,
1: we'll see. We'll see. I'm still... but yeah, I'm on Twitter. I'm definitely on Twitter at Andy Kind Comedy
0: and i've i have you on notifications so i get a lot of these jokes as they come through and yeah is is this where you test your things for Uh, absolutely
1: so twitter i use twitter and facebook for different different things twitter i use for um yes little jokes like little quips and facebook i use for more sort of um story based stuff so Ideas for things that have happened to me. I won't really. I don't get too autobiographical on Twitter because no one cares. Um, you know, people just want to hear objective jokes. So uh, I don't do that very much. Any any sort. I've noticed that any sort of I statement, um, any per, over personalized thing on Twitter doesn't really get any likes or any retweets. No. But if you do a, a joke that is applicable to everybody, then that's what gets the hits.
0: I, I definitely see that. I've posted several things that don't really get anything, and then I make a movie reference, and people like it. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like, I, I think I, I, I made an all-work-and-no-play tweet recently, um, and some people who I forgot even followed me respond to that. So. Oh, brilliant, yeah. Yeah. I always wonder why people follow me on Twitter. I don't really have anything about it. <laughs> Oh, I don't think any... yeah there's a lot of I don't think it's true be... you don't have anything
1: of interest I think I think what you're doing here is really interesting uh,
0: but I, I say there's a I think half of the people who follow me on Twitter from the uh, I, I'm still very much of I, before someone follows me I'll go on there well when they follow me they'll go on my page and I'll decide whether I block them or not um, yeah which I don't know I, I don't know what level of followers you're at or how easy it is to do that from your perspective but
1: yeah, I don't know really. I think I um, I tend to, I've got I, th- I don't know I've got something like four four only four thousand followers or something like that. Which actually, given how long I've been on Twitter and what it is I do as a job, that's not that many. Um, but I um, I tend to just follow back. I don't really read a lot of tweets. I tend to just put put tweets on there to see how people react to them. But I don't I don't often scroll. Um. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um.
0: So. And, uh um he tells when he didn't see anyone one, then Halloran can't get through to them on the phone.
1: yeah, that's right. At
0: this point is it that's the right. weather or is this anything?
1: um yeah the the phone lines are down, aren't they?
0: Oh, you've liked my tweet okay <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> just to make you feel good mate <laughs>
0: um
1: yeah, so the phone line the phone lines are down at this point,
0: I think um and of course it's later affected by Danny towards the end. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's it adds once more to the isolation, and comparing it now um, to the to the ways that they feel in this, and linking it to uh, mental health, I, I think it's very similar to the the, the, the feel of anxiety. Yeah, um, being being stuck and not being able to get out. You know, the one way you can get out, you can no longer do it. Because I remember a few months ago I was suffering really badly from anxiety and I, you know, any way out have a day, well not literally any way out but you know, if, mm. if, there, if there were a way to get out of it and you know I would really like I remember yeah. saying I remember if I were saying... trapped in a building I could jump out of the window with the risk of breaking an arm but you know yeah. there's there's not even anything with risks in terms of mental health and I'm wondering whether maybe a link to a feeling that many people have felt might be what one of the reasons that this is a success
1: yes definitely that um because an- well, anxiety and depression just feels like being trapped in a place you can't get out of doesn't it that is what it feels like so um and that's where film is amazing that's where um you know the non-literalism of film really impacts people because on the, on the one hand we we want to watch stories that entertain us but we really want to. We want. We watch films to learn about ourselves. I don't think we necessarily do that consciously or all the time. But you know what we're doing here is talking about how this story, written a fictional story in a novel, made into a screenplay 37 years ago, um, is about real life. And if it, because if it wasn't about real life, then we wouldn't be talking about it. That's we're not. We're not talking about. You know, I, I don't know what we're not talking well, about. There's lots of things we're not talking about. But we're not talking about cupboards and how cupboards are made, because it's not about, there's nothing real there. This is a, This is about truth, isn't it? Even if it's a, a skewed truth, which comes from an, a, a, an off-centre starting yeah, point. It should really be a tagline. shining.
0: It's not about cupboards.
1: Yeah. Um, <laughs> yes. I don't know why I didn't go for that, actually. <laughs> yeah.
0: um, and... Uh, Jack goes to a party in the gold room so once again it's like Danny has Jack is having a recurring vision if it is a vision um and I thought once again I think it's quite interesting that you know Jack is the only one who well, I don't think I've, I don't know, I literally just noticed it I said once again but Jack is the only one who has an escape essentially he he, he escapes through alcohol actually
1: Yes. Yes, that's interesting. Yes, as in he yes, he has. Yes, that's really interesting because he has respite in the form of his alcoholism, doesn't he? Although ultimately he's the one who dies. So it is just a temporary a temporary respite. The, it's a it's escape, but it's escape into the jaws of death.
0: Yeah. Um and then Um, we've got the scene in the bathroom. Uh, Is this the point where he tells them to take care of them? I think. I don't know. It might be the next one. I'm sure I wrote that in my notes, but I didn't. Because there is the point where... Oh, I forgot his name, the guy in the... Dick Halloran. Uh, Is is Halloran, is it, who appears to him. Yeah. Yeah, when he says, uh, you know, take care of them. You know, take care of your... Kids, as oh, the, kids oh you mean oh uh, you mean oh grady yeah, yeah, yeah. grady oh yeah, yeah I'm grady terrible, yeah terrible with names i think that's why i got low marks in my last film studies assessment <laughs> <laughs> okay yeah well it was a swedish yeah. horror film it's not easy to remember their names when it's all also no bad. absolutely no uh,
1: yeah it's it's yeah. grady isn't it it's the
0: uh, yeah it's when he says you know take care of them like i took care of mine really that i think that's this bit i i might i might be corrected um
1: Yes, that's right. It, because yes, sorry, I, I thought we were talking about Dick Halloran, but we're not. We're talking about Grady, the um, uh, the butler. Uh, he um, he um, says because yeah, he says your son is basically trying to contact the outside. He's trying to bring in outside help. He's trying to build relationship in a sense because by other people coming in, that offers help and uh, rescue. And community and Grady says that you can't allow that to happen as in you you need to stay isolated you we whatever force it is that's driving Jack it's it's constantly about trying to make him more and more isolated
0: and well, which I think again could be a metaphor for alcoholism really
1: yeah um, yeah
0: and I think it's at this point that we get the line you've always been here and you've always yeah. been the caretaker which um, I believe is spoofed in Hot Fuzz. Um, very,
1: very yeah, uh, Yeah, possibly. I have seen Hot Fuzz a few times. I'm I'll trying I'll to try remember where where that would be. I
0: think there's a point where they go in the hotel, and it's, I'd like to book in, what do you mean, you've always been here? And
1: okay. Oh, yes. There, yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I, mean, I mean, like the, the Cornetto films just manage yeah. to spoof anything. Um I don't think I've got a cornetto film that I'm reviewing this series, but um, do all
1: three do all three of them in the next um, in the next series?
0: Yeah, I think I think I will do
1: all three of them in one go. A, I,
0: was, I had someone recommend that I should do all three of them in one go, and three uh, the Jim Carrey um, late 90s there were three and I can't remember what they were. Um,
1: there was uh, Ace Ventura, there was well there's Ace Ace, Ace Ventura,
0: Ventura <laughs> and one other and I can't remember what the other one is the mask it might have been the mask yeah i've never done i i feel like i've seen ace ventura and the mask but i don't know if i have i've definitely seen dumb and dumber it's one of those that you sort of take in through pop culture
1: yeah that's right that's right well obviously i was i was your age when it when they came out so uh uh, i remember them first time around or
0: like I've heard a lot of people say when I mention films like I Know What You Did last summer that they feel they've consumed it through pop culture but never actually sat yeah. down and watched it yeah yeah
1: um,
0: but yeah then uh, Halloran drives out to see Jack because he can't get through uh, to them and oh sorry he drives out to see Jack Wendy and Danny yeah Um. and then we've got uh, the typewriter all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy Mm-hmm. And there was somewhere on IMDb trivia about the fact that it changed in different translations. I'll see if I can find that. Okay. Um, because it apparently like in German or whatever, it didn't have the same thing. And yes, what I was saying about IMDb, it's the sixtieth uh, in the top two hundred.
1: Okay. Yeah. And presumably sixtieth in the top two thousand as well.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Oh, Danny Lloyd was just reading these trivia facts. Danny Lloyd was so young, and since it was his first acting job, Stanley Kubrick was highly protective of the child. During the shooting of right. the movie, Lloyd was under the impression the film was he was making it was a drama and not a horror movie. And when, wow. when he carries Danny away while shouting Jack in the Colorado Lounge, he's actually carrying a life-sized dummy, so Lloyd would not have to be in the scene. Oh and wow! He first realized several years later. Uh, when he was shown a heavily edited version of the film, he did not see the uncut version until he was seventeen, eleven years after he made it. Wow, that's, <laughs> that's shocking!
1: That's really interesting. Yeah, so that's really
0: considering. Interesting. Yeah, I, I don't think of him da- of uh, Kubrick as being a pr- a protective <laughs> sort of guy.
1: No, but it's interesting. I wonder whether you know the. I wonder whether the the fact that he did that is actually helps us to understand the film a bit, a bit better. It's the protectiveness of, you know, there is a, Danny does have a redemption. There is a protection, you know, Halloran is there to protect Danny as well, even though he fails, he's there to protect Danny. So it is, it is about Danny's escape from the inevitable consequences of his family. It's about generational sin and the escape from generational sin, isn't it?
0: And uh, to get Jack Nicholson in the right agitated mood, he was only fed cheese sandwiches for two weeks, which he hates.
1: Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. That is, I mean, that is crazy. <laughs> to, um, and, and you can see why the, the, that madness comes across on the screen because they obviously were going insane they obviously were developing genuine cabin fever
0: oh in fact in response to what you said before the throwing of the tennis ball inside the overlook hotel was jack nicholson's idea and the script only specified that jack is not working
1: oh right that's interesting
0: i wonder whether nicholson came up with the idea of the thumping or whether that was something on the spot i can't see what i've found at all um
1: but again, it's linked to, it reminds me of Steve McQueen in The Great Escape, where he's, he's been locked in the cooler, and uh, he's um, he's throwing a, a baseball at the wall. Hmm.
0: Uh, well, that's another one. Have I seen uh, The Great uh, Escape, or have I not? I've...
1: <laughs> just wait. It's on every Christmas day. Yeah. So
0: I think we've got it. I'm just not sure if I've seen it. I think I'm getting it's worth mixed watching.
1: Up with... It's quite long. It's three hours long, but it's worth watching. I am
0: getting it mixed up with the Escape to Victory. And yeah, uh, it's two very different and films, the Luke. Italian Job are just coming together. Yeah. <laughs> um,
1: the Great Escape is a very different film to Escape yeah, to Victory. Yeah.
0: I'm surprised I found interest in Escape to Victory because I really despise football, but Yeah. Um I can't. Stanley Kubrick known for his compulsiveness and numerous retakes got the difficult shot of blood pouring from the elevators in only 3 takes. Would be remarkable if it wasn't for the fact it took it. The shot took nine days to set up, and every time the door was opened and the blood poured out, Cubit would say it doesn't look like blood. In the end, the shot took approximately a year to get right.
1: oh Wow. Wow.
0: <laughs> I need to read these, uh, um, these uh, trivia things more often. I think. Yeah. Um. Now I can't. I can't find the the thing about the different translations but
1: well not to worry
0: Um, so then we've got uh, the staircase scene of many takes which I believe still holds the most like 140 takes or something
1: wow um,
0: to get her looking stressed and worried and I think that's that, that, that specific one is quite infamous in uh, cinema
1: yes but he did that quite a lot so he made um, he made the uh... Uh, the guy playing oh uh, playing Halloran do the scene with Danny, I think over a hundred times as well the original that initial scene in the kitchen um I think he did that quite a lot he he definitely drove them to the brink of insanity,
0: which yeah I think, and I suppose that's why the film feels perfect really mm. um because of all of these um then we've got uh. But Wendy is asleep and we get the red rum moment. Yeah. Which, oddly, I feel quite bad that I didn't notice the red rum being murder until actually, you know, the the mirror reveal. I don't know how obvious it was to everyone else. Um,
1: <laughs> yeah, oh, but I think it's just one of those things that's been absorbed into popular culture as well now. So yeah. you you yeah. it's one of the things you know about The Shining before you see it. No. But, you know, there's those things. like So right at the start, the guy showing around says... Uh, this is built on an ancient Indian burial ground. And that has become such a, a well-known spoof, hasn't it? That's become such a well-known trope that is used in, in horror films and, and yeah. comedies yeah. about horror. Uh, but it actually you know, originates there, I think, that it's built on an ancient Indian burial ground. Um,
0: in fact, my favourite spoof of The Shining is in Finding Nemo. Okay. Um, I don't know if you recall. Be I about... don't. Uh, I've only seen it once,
1: and I think I fell asleep. So.
0: Um, yeah, there's a moment where uh, Bruce the Shark is uh, getting attacked, although he's breaking through a wall, and he just shouts, here's Brucey. Okay, was, yeah. <laughs> an odd moment, but...
1: <laughs> yeah. I think yeah, sure. I
0: heard that Toy Story takes a lot from The Shining as well, so...
1: Okay.
0: I think it was the carpet or something. Um,
1: yeah, there's. I mean, there's loads of films, like, once you... yeah. I, I can't yeah I, I can't remember any offhand but there's there's loads of stuff that references the shining
0: um then there is uh, Danny escapes out of the window but Wendy doesn't fit um, uh, in the bathroom I think this was um, just before the infamous scene um, yeah and I think that's just a moment because you think that they're gonna escape and you you expect that some sort of chase scene outside or something but there's nothing Yeah. Um, and then his Johnny, which is an ad-libbed line, and I think it was a reference to something, if I remember correctly. Um, right. Okay. Yeah, it's it's uh, said. Yeah, I think there was know. a
1: there was a um, I think there was an American <laughs> chat show or something.
0: Yeah, uh, Johnny um, Carson. Um, yeah, to, that's in, it. To, yeah. Um, as he lived in England, Stanley Kubrick was not familiar with the "He is Johnny" line from the Johnny show um, that Jack improvised. He nearly didn't use it. Which oh is, right. Uh, an interesting one.
1: Um, yeah, and it's just about then. It's about what who is, who is telling the story here? Who's got the truth? Where's the truth in all of this? Who can we rely upon?
0: That that is very true. I think, I, I feel like Danny should be our protagonist, but we don't get enough from him. And yes, I, that's right. The only character I was really disappointed by was Wendy, because she doesn't evolve throughout the film at all. There's no evolution of wendy really mm. um, yes that's interesting just so odd that's so interesting so maybe that says something that the film is set inside wendy's mind yeah so i mean it's bits like that that's where the, the theories come from so yeah i'm just thinking maybe it's something to do with wendy because she's not really in it um, yeah
1: Yes, that's right. And and actually, she acts it really well. Um, Shelley Duvall acts it really, really well. But she said in an interview um, that no one really talked about her performance, even though she worked so hard at it. Uh, it was as though she wasn't there, which again is in, interesting. Roger Ebert picks up on this in his review. That is that is a potential, you know, reading of The Shining that she's not there. It's not it's not real. It's not happening. Um, it's as though she wasn't there. So yeah, there's lots of equally. It might just be. It might just be Kubrick dropping the ball on something well,
0: it's so, there to throw terrible. us off. Possibly um, there was a and I, dis- I think I discussed this in the finale episode of this podcast with Greg Austin about um, the Doctor Who spin-off class and how it revolves around a main group of teenagers, but one of them isn't really there and isn't really expanded on. And so for the whole series, you expect that he's the one to die. And so I'm wondering whether that's what we're supposed to get out of Wendy. We're supposed to think that because she isn't much of a character, that she gets killed off, and it's sort of to throw us off a bit. Yeah. Um, that's so,
1: right. So then. Um,
0: but
1: she, so is also,
0: it, she is also
1: she uh, is also the reliable parental figure, isn't she? Mm-hmm. Like she is. You know, there's a way of saying it as you know, if it's Danny's, if it's if Danny is our hero, really, and it's about his journey to freedom, then and he's got one parental figure who is changing and growing, but growing into madness, then the idea that his other parental figure, his mother, is unchanging and unshakable, well, that could just equally be a a metaphor for unconditional love, couldn't it? An unchanging affection. So who knows? Who knows?
0: Um, And then we've got the his Johnny moment, uh, which we touched upon a lot uh probably more than touched upon so i'll just move on to the next note um jack kills halloran as he enters the hotel and i think excluding obviously the uh the the blood at uh, the river it's our most gory scene and it isn't really that gory because the film doesn't really rely on visuals as much yeah for its horror which is quite interesting i think um Because of how much modern horror relies on special effects. And with this, I think it relies a lot more on what's implied and even the sound or the music, um, the effects of music and whether it's better than special effects in horror. And I think it's either equal or better, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, Because you look at things like Psycho, there's not a proper wound or stab in the shower scene at all.
1: Yes, that's right.
0: Although um, the censors originally uh, had a massive problem with it for scenes of nudity and strong violence, which yeah. there's nothing um, yeah. people noticed afterwards. Um, but then we've got... Uh, yeah, um, t- Jack chases Danny with an axe, which is, of course, a callback to the whole thing with you'll never do anything to hurt me. Yeah, yeah. Um,
1: and also a callback to the interview where he's told about Grady killing his daughters with an axe and Jack Nicholson saying, well, I can assure you that's not going to happen to me.
0: I'll tell you what's also a callback to you're never going to hurt me is when he says to Wendy, I'm not going to hurt you, I'm going to bash, bash your brains in. I'm wondering whether that's yes. a response. <laughs> yes. I didn't mark that in at all, really. Um, some people were saying that the whole "his Johnny comment as well is... Um, a sign of him going mad and calling himself Johnny instead of Jack um, but
1: but I think I think J- Jack is pro- Jack is probably a nickname for John anyway I think yeah, so I don't think you know.
0: a lot of people because I, I, I was looking into that specifically or maybe it really is that he is just referencing that TV show yeah um yeah which is odd that that line has become more famous for the film now than the show yes um, I'd quite like to see a clip from that show, maybe, after we've recorded and see. Yeah. Um, And then we go on to uh, the Chase is moved outside in the maze. So, like the maze of the hotel, we've now got the maze outside. So, you know, even though they've escaped the hotel, it's sort of still there, still following them.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's right.
0: And, um... Oh, Actually, from what I said before about them not sharing their visions, at this point Wendy sees the sea of blood, um, which I forgot, uh, but apparently she did according to my notes. Uh...
1: Yes, and it, I mean, it's it's a it's a literal escape, which is also, you know, a, a figurative escape, isn't it? But um, yeah, but.
0: This by the, this point the two people have seen the same thing um
1: yes so and because finally they have a they have escaped they're out of that they're out of that kind of cycle of uh, implosion and destruction and they're finally able to re. so it's the start of them building community and building relationship again now that they have escaped from the abusive father figure um they are able to sort of commune in a way that they weren't able to before.
0: And then um, uh, Danny and Wendy meet back up and Jack collapses and freezes to death or implied yeah. to death. Yeah. Um, and I, I, This, although it's a major part of the film, I don't think there's that much to say about it. It's it's kind of disappointing. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's one of the few points where a horror film kills the kills the villain.
1: Yeah, I and mean, it's just totally abrupt as well, isn't it? So you've got the you've got the um, the bit where Danny is um, escapes from Jack by walking back in his own tracks. That's a lovely metaphor for what we've been talking about. That he's he's going against the grain. He's back. He's backtracking. He's not going to continue walking the path. That um, you know has been set for him by the parental abuse. He's he's you know like at the end of Looper, he's turning, he's changing things. He's changing history.
0: And um, I was gonna say it, it, it stops a sequel, but I think Stephen King wrote a sequel.
1: Yes, there is a sequel. The book bu- the book has a sequel with Danny in it. Yeah,
0: but I, I say I haven't. I've got the book of the first one, and I, I think I started it and then read something else.
1: Uh, it's called Doctor Sleep, is the name of the sequel.
0: Have, have you read either of the books? Or...
1: No, I've never read an entire Stephen King. I love Stephen King, but I've net, but I haven't read any of his books.
0: <laughs> I'd quite like to read Shawshank, because that's a short story, apparently. It is, yeah. I think that's the easiest one. I'm terrible with books. I'll start reading one, and then I'll move on to another. Your Absolutely, book, yeah, same as me. So I, I, yeah, I sixty
1: thousand words. Sixty thousand words is is the right length for a book because you can read it in a day if you're quick. Yeah. If you
0: yeah, anyway, sure. onto here, we've then got the final photo at the end, um, July Fourth Ball, nineteen twenty one, and I'd love to know. That's whether, right. I'd love to know whether that's in the book. Um, I have a. Yes, I. I don't
1: know. I don't know whether it is or not.
0: Because how you can write it's... that in, I don't know. Um,
1: yes, because the yeah, I'm going to Google it as we're as we're talking. You tell me what you what you make of the ending and what you think it's about.
0: Well, I think, and this is very similar to that of an episode of the Sarah Jane Adventures. That it's it's sort of he's seeing ghosts as much as he's a ghost to them, and sort of the the, the relativity of time, really. And he's sort of as much as there are ghosts of the past, he's he was a ghost of the future to them, or I suppose there. I'm sure there must be a theory somewhere that he is a ghost of the past. Um, but I don't know. It's
1: quite yeah. So I, I think this is where my um. Hell analogy works again because I think this is about the um, I think the best reading of this is about the hotel having finally claimed the victim of Jack and Mm. and the absorption into the hotel is finally complete to the degree where he is now one of them, he's now one of them, and so the final scene it's not it's got I don't think it's got anything to do with him going back in time or the idea that he was always actually there back in the 20s I think it's simply about um, well not simply about but I think what it's really about is that photo is is the sort of the it's the team photo for all the souls that the hotel has corrupted and won over the years so you know you've got this it's like a it's like a trophy cabinet for the hotel being hell and all the souls that it has finally corrupted and and kept so i think it's that and you know the um, the two twins say to danny don't they when they first speak to him come and play with us forever and ever and ever And then Jack says to Danny in the scene where they're sitting on the bed, I wish we could stay here forever and ever and ever. And so finally, you know, it's that wish fulfillment. Jack gets his wish. He's going to be there forever and ever and ever. He's in hell. He is now literally in hell. He's become part of the furniture in hell.
0: Um, It seems odd. There must be some legal reason or something behind why they haven't adapted The Shining 2. Because it seems like such a money grab, really. Yes,
1: Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Um, but I think I think this, you know the, the ending is, is, the, is so weird. I mean it is such a weird ending and um, I was listening to an interview with Stanley Kubrick and he you know he was talking about how Freud Sigmund Freud, the psychologist, said that uncanniness is the only emotion felt more clearly in art. Than in life, and so I think the 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 point of the point of that final scene is to make us feel just a bit weird, a little bit unsettled. Um, it's not it's not about us trying to rationalise it because if you can rationalise everything, then it's not really art, is it? Art is transcendent, and The Shining is more like a piece of music. It's about how you feel rather than what you can rationalise, um, and so I, I think. Whilst there is a, a a thread, and while there is a motif, and there is a theme that you can draw out of it, um, it's it's, ice, it's yeah, it's eisegesis rather than exegesis. So we're we we're, we're putting our meaning into it rather than taking out the the literal meaning because there isn't a literal meaning. It's it's a it's a piece of art. It's it's meant to be
0: interpreted and it's it, it does it without being over the top as well like so many films you know go with ooh look at this mystery or what do you think it is and try and get us you know to do that and either they end up revealing it in the end or you know yeah. people aren't really bothered um, and i i think you know the shining's done it perfectly because
1: yeah so kubrick, kubrick said um it's ridiculous to become too verbally analytical you you can either make too much of it or you reduce it to some ultra clear absurdity so I don't think he was actually really trying to say that there's one definitive meaning um, but I like for the reasons that we talked about and the, the series I'm trying to make I like the hell analogy um, you know in John ten ten, 10 Jesus says about Satan you know the thief comes to kill steal and destroy and the final scene of The Shining shows that he's good at it that he has done that he has stolen, killed and destroyed Jack and has now got his picture on the wall. So, um, yeah, the hotel is hell. It's a depository of souls.
0: Mm. That's a really interesting analogy. And now we have sort of two final segments, short segments to go on through. Your overall thoughts of the film. Do
1: you want me to do that now?
0: Yeah. And we'll
1: try I, th- and- I think it's... um. I think it's, I think it's a near perfect film. Um, and I think actually there's a, there's a paradox because it's, it's a film that demonstrates the limits, the limits of rationalism and, and rationalizing, but actually it's also a film that invites analysis. Um, rationalism will only take you so far, but it will take you some of the way. And it's, it's it's also the fun of watching it is being able to really dig into it with analysis. Hmm. Um, And I think it's a really interesting. It's got real spiritual resonance. All three of the characters are controlled by powers bigger than themselves. So Danny can't control Tony. You know, Tony often says, "You know, you're not allowed to say this." Jack is a non-recovering alcoholic. Shelley Duval is an abused wife. Um, So they're all controlled by powers bigger than themselves. And it's the it's the journey of Danny and Wendy out of that cycle of, of abuse, out of that cycle of oppressive control and into into freedom.
0: Now people often um, say to me, um, analysing films, you know, that surely that makes them, you know, you can't look at them the same way, surely that ruins the film. But I think, you know, what we're doing here is a lot more enjoyable than your average person who catches The Shining on TV. Yeah, because um, when you're looking out for something, when you're finding things in it, it's so much better. I think.
1: Yeah, I mean Kubrick is my favourite director, and I The Shining is one of my favourite films, and it's also so Drive is my favourite film, but I think The Shining is one of the best films um, ever made, and I can I can just keep watching it because it's just so atmospheric. And what I love about Kubrick in general is that he he is fearless. He doesn't care what people... He makes the film he wants to make for the reason he wants to make it. He, he does it differently. Um, and that's what a real pioneer is. A real pioneer... You know, The Shining, like a lot of Kubrick films, wasn't well-received when it first came out. But that's the case with a lot of true pioneers. They don't get appreciated in their own lifetime. A prophet is never accepted in, in his own t- town. So um, I think The, the Shining gets better with age actually the older it gets the, the better it looks
0: yeah definitely. the more atmospheric it looks and um what what i find with horror as well is i mean my i i would say that my favorite film genre is comedy but i think comedy is so close to horror because you know a a, a horror film is good if it gets a reaction out of you and the same you could be could be said of comedy. It's bad oh. if you know horror okay. film is bad if it doesn't scare you. Comedy is bad if it doesn't make you laugh. And I think mm. they're 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 so close. And you know, although you think comedy and horror are completely different genres, I think somebody who likes comedy probably enjoys horror. And vice yes,
1: yeah. Well, it's all it's all about surprise, isn't it? Comedy is about surprise. You um, you only laugh when you're surprised, and that's the same with with horror yeah
0: which is surprising when you find something you know some form of comedy that you can revisit and still find funny because yeah what well, you say yeah. is a surprise like I, I i keep calling back to vacation and like everything it's it's one of my favorite films not for like a directorial thing or whatever it's just i think it's the perfect comedy and that that you know it's got
1: the, it's got the best theme tune of any mm. film as well i think <laughs> yeah definitely holiday road by Lindsay buckingham mm. is uh is Definitely. maybe the best <laughs> theme tune.
0: Yeah. My dad got annoyed because of how many times I listened to it. The um, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> soundtrack to the Ed Helms remake, although you know the remake isn't as good, there's some good bits yeah. in it. Um, yeah, I actually I was
1: I I thought the remake wasn't as bad as people said. Yeah.
0: Mm, certainly, the worst vacation film is. Um, are you aware of the Straight to DVD sequel to Christmas Vacation? No, I'm not. Uh, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation 2: Cousin Eddie's Island Adventure it's wow. terrible you can see the green screen behind them <laughs> it's, yeah. uh, it's at the level of so bad it's good you can enjoy bits of it you um, I mean, you got Randy Quaid in the lead um, which is never yeah. bad and it's the first time one of the kids has come back it's got the original Audrey in it uh, okay that's good quite yeah. Interesting. but yeah the soundtrack to the Ed Helms Vacation which I've got on, on CD has about three or four different versions of Holiday Road and um, which is really good, okay, that yeah. is really good, yeah what I'm looking forward to is I don't know if you're aware, Ed Helms is up um I think it's this year, and he's remaking the naked gun.
1: oh, that's interesting, yeah, he's, yeah.
0: he's playing Frank. there's not been okay. anything on that since like this time last year, but it was said to be this year, so I'm looking forward to that. The only problem with Ed Helms is i especially with the naked gun they I'm sure he's gonna make it horribly crude
1: yeah so in the in the novel just to go back I'm just reading what happens at the end of the novel um, Jack ta- Jack chases Danny out into the hotel grounds to find the the topiary animal so the hedge animal suddenly al- alive and in pursuit of him uh, and at the end of the novel Jack having ignored the boiler duties for too long um, causes the hotel to explode he tells Wendy and Danny to get out he tries to relieve the pressure in the boiler, fails, is caught in the explosion, and dies.
0: So, at the end, <laughs> he actually saves his family. He
1: takes—he s- he saves his family. Yeah, which
0: is—I prefer that ending. Actually, so, <laughs> the, the, yeah. So the the pitch,
1: the the photo at the end is not in the
0: book. I would like this ending, but I don't think it worked. It would have worked as well on film. Hmm. But yeah. Um so now we move on to the final segment and i deliberately don't give any thought to this segment before we do it um film retitling as it is in the name we retitle the film uh, if you had to rename the shining what would you call it What'd you call it if i had to retitle the shining
1: yeah no. oh gosh well you let me give me a few seconds to think about that you tell me you tell me some of the names that you would call it okay. Yeah, so I, I wouldn't call it The Shining because I don't really think it's about The Shining. It's not really about that gift, is it? It's about the the breakdown of a family relationship. So I might call it The Hotel. I might call it um, The Overlook.
0: The Overlook would um, work, definitely.
1: Yeah, I would probably just call it The Overlook.
0: Yeah, I want to know. I'm going to Google right now um, why isn't The Shining to a film yeah, do it. Ooh, um, the Shining sequel, uh, to be directed by Mike Flanagan. Uh, okay. January 2018. Uh, so that, that article was released, so. there Okay, is, that's interesting. There is something happening. Um, I know the name Mike Flanagan. I don't know what from. Uh. I'll have to no, I don't, a um, I don't know either. I don't. And, uh, Along with Vertico um, Entertainment's John Berg and Goldsman is executive producer of Vika Goldsman. I don't know that name either. Um, it just sort of describes it. I'm sure there's more news um, on that at some point.
1: I think um, it looks like it was only quite a recent book. So Steve, it looks like Stephen King only wrote the sequel a few years ago. So it's not like it was a it was a quick turnaround with a sequel. Maybe that's why we haven't seen it.
0: Yeah, maybe because he is still writing as ever. Um, I mean, he's mad. He's insane. Yeah, I mean, his recent. Have you seen it?
1: Um, yes, I have. I mean, I I love like so. The scariest film I ever saw as a child was it the TV the yeah. TV movie. Yeah. Um, but yes, I have. Um, I have seen the new it and the thing the really interesting thing is is the idea of the connected universe stephen king's connected universe um and how a lot of his novels link together so yeah so that's worth looking that's worth looking into um so this idea of sort of a vast interconnected universe pennywise the clown turns up in a lot of um his other novels um and I I don't know if you've read the Dark Tower series by Stephen King, but
2: that's
1: (laughs) that's supposedly the sort of the central hub uh, of the of the sort of story of Stephen King's universe. It all kind of it's all linked to the Dark Tower somehow. Um, And that's interesting. But also in it, you know, there's you know, there's that phrase. Uh, we all float down here, and when you're down here with us, you'll float too. That's a little bit like, come and play with us, Danny, forever and ever and ever. Yes. So th- yes. there's
0: there's
1: there's definite links there.
0: Yeah, I, I liked the miniseries. I didn't like part two, as much as part one. Um, yeah. But I say my problem with it is the TV restrictions. It feels like something that calls to have, you know, a flash of a dead body or something. But because it couldn't you know the 90s television especially american television is very very strict um, yeah because it couldn't i think that's that's where a problem stands but the new it i think it's the highest grossing horror film of all time yeah uh, which is shocking. It doesn't,
1: it doesn't, it doesn't surprise me i mean i wouldn't watch it again no. I, I again it was so the the tv series was so iconic for me and so I was really excited that they were making a sequel, and I thought it was really well done. But what you said earlier is interesting. You know, sort of jump jump cuts, jump horror films, uh, just don't really... We are so anaesthetised to them now that it's very difficult to make those things effective.
0: Mm. Well, um, I think that's why aliens. Um, alien's age rating cut down from an 18 to a 15, because the shock of the chest bursting everyone knows it now and that's sort of yes. was the most graphic scene in the film and i mean that that's quite dated i think now um, yes it doesn't stand as well as the shining does but yeah i mean in terms of the it miniseries tim curry is a very versatile actor yeah um definitely but, i mean you I, I wouldn't have i wouldn't associate pennywise with the role of frankenfurter in rocky horror Exactly, exactly. Which is yes. a very odd movie that I don't plan on re- reviewing here at all.
2: Cause I yeah, don't really know no, he's br- well. he's brilliant. He's brilliant as Pennywise. I he's brilliant think as Pennywise. He's
0: on the Spamalot soundtrack as well. I think he plays King Arthur in Monty Python's Spamalot. Um, okay. But yeah, have you seen the edits of the It trailer where they've replaced it with Mike Myers as the Cat in the Hat? No, I haven't. Um, it's. I think it's creepier. It's really weird.
1: Well, I'll um, have a look at that. Um,
0: um, yeah, the I'll have a look at that. is a, a, a probably a good title for or um, a good replacement title. I've got a fun interview that I managed to record with Lisa and Louise, who were the twins from The Shining, at Showmasters Birmingham Film and Comic Con. And so here's that interview. Hello and welcome to. Please be seated. Today I'm here with Louise and Lisa from the Shining. Um, our first episode of the podcast was a review of The Shining, and we went quite in depth and wondering what do you think the ending means. For
2: the film. Do you mean the European, the, in- the UK release it, ending, or, there or there the American endings, one? Though? Yeah, the um, American the... version. The American film has the American edit has a different ending. I. Okay, well, the. Teddy Berry's doing another the, podcast for you. I'll <laughs> say the uh,
0: the European, the UK ending The, the UK
2: okay. ending. What does it mean?
0: Yeah, well, what do you think it means? Because there's a lot of theories surrounding the fact that Jack is still in the picture. At the
2: oh, what you what mean? He, he never does, does. He was always he, yeah. the caretaker. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I think so.
0: Okay. I um, think it's a
2: weird time slip dimension thing, yeah. personally. So
0: has your role in The Shining helped you get future roles and other things, or is it just. What we've um, to
2: who chose not to go into
0: action yes. Yeah, that okay. wasn't
2: because of The Shining that was, <laughs> it that was because of the um, the, the, the temporary nature of yeah. the work
0: what, yeah, the what, what was it like working with Kubrick as a director was he?
2: oh lovely yeah, yeah he was great Yeah, because yes. obviously there's a
0: lot of controversy around his methods and his <laughs> but, ways um, but I've heard he's good with the under-18s with the minors and very different to how he is with... Yes,
2: but if you you were to make a movie and it was to be how everybody knew you and it was going to go all around the world... Would you do a bad job or would you want it to no, be the would, best yeah. job you could do? And with, so the, with the podcast that you're doing at the moment they're really dedicated you want that to, to be work. the best podcast would you can make don't otherwise? Yeah. Just like So well, are you, you that know? far away from fabric, so really? <laughs> <people> <laughs> um,
0: and one final question uh, what sort of films do you find yourself interested in? <gasps>
2: I like Keeping Mum I quite uh, like yes. Psychological huh? Drama yeah.
0: Yeah, my I my like keeping mum.
2: Sunscreen. Yeah, it doesn't really—it like, it doesn't really go yeah. very well over in America. They like much more um, yeah. obvious storylines. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas I quite like the idea of, of um, the, the, the vicar's mother-in-law turning out to be some <laughs> crazed, <laughs> every and everyone who's in the way just winds up in a village pond. Yeah. And the moral of the story is probably don't buy a house near the village pond, and then don't buy a dog. Don't want to find a dead body. Don't buy a dog. Yeah. <laughs> A lot of, de- lot of dead
0: people are found by dog walkers. do walk dogs. <laughs> right, well, thank you so much. For thank you. Thank you. Um, so, where can the listeners find you?
1: They can find me um, at my house, but I won't be giving out my address. So, they can find me on Facebook and on Twitter at Andy Kind Comedy, uh, and at some point they'll be able to find this new film series that I'm working on on YouTube. But uh, maybe you can give me a shout out in a later in a later episode when when I've got it up and running. That would be good, wouldn't
0: it? Yep, I I don't know when I'm next recording. I think yeah, I'll, I'll try and remember. I, I mean, the yeah, well, I, here, I, about can always, I can always I can always remind you. I'll let you know. The amount I'll of times here know. I've called back to uh, these things. I mean, it seems like yeah. a really interesting um, idea for a series. Are you having different people on to discuss it, or is it just you?
1: No, it'll just be me. So there'll be just little three-minute videos, um, giving talking about one aspect of the film.
0: That's yeah, that's definitely really interesting. Uh, if, we've, if we've got time to ask this, um, the the story you told about the woman across the road when you moved in, I've always yeah. pictured your hello as very much like The Shining. <laughs> Oh honest. yeah, that's quite.
1: Um, yeah, that's a good way to end it, isn't it? Yeah. Is there any it, chance you can tell that story? <laughs> is there
0: any chance you could? Uh, there's time for you to tell that story to the listeners. Uh,
1: not probably not really, but yeah. There's um the, in in a nutshell, it's a story of me moving house, and going to get some provisions from Aldi, and being in the queue behind the woman who turned out to be my new next door neighbour, but neither of us knew this, which made it awkward when I followed her home. Uh, And when we got back to near the house, she decided I was stalking her. And so raced inside her house and shut the door. I didn't want her to feel afraid. So I went over to explain, which made it worse. Um, And then she came around later on that day to deliver a cake that she'd bought for her new neighbors. But she didn't know that we were her new neighbors. And so when I opened the door... And I didn't know it was her, so I thought it was my family. I thought it was my little girls coming home. And so I opened the door with a big sort of hello to this woman who'd been seeking out this stalker. <laughs> yeah,
0: And um, so after that, we, we know where to find you. You can find me on Twitter at llama underscore bottle zero. Um, an odd Twitter tag, but... Um, it's a tag nonetheless um, you can also find me on um, on YouTube at Bottle O Productions or I Please Be Seated should be all posted on YouTube or whatever um, you can find Please Be Seated, the podcast on Facebook, just Please Be Seated uh, Twitter, excuse the pun at Please Be Tweeted and I believe that is it, I've probably forgotten something um, so it's been a pleasure to talk to you Andy
1: bless you mate thanks yeah it's been really good fun
0: and i'll i will definitely keep in uh, keep look out for this new series and uh, possibly you know message you if there's any other time later on in another series of this
1: yeah, i'd love to do another film this has been great it's been really great so yeah anytime as long as it's a film that i like yeah
0: <laughs> Um, although I'm sure there'll be an interesting way to go on a film you don't like, it's just yeah, watching it yeah. beforehand that's the, the struggle. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's been great talking.